Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 192 of the Quickie Podcast. I should say part one of episode 192. This is a, uh, a quickie-ish, so I split it into part one, part two. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Thanks for coming out. I appreciate it. So I want to get right into the guests because we got a couple of long parts here, but this is jam-packed, a highly entertaining episode full of great stories, some of them fun, some of them quirky, but gems nonetheless. So today's guests are Johnny Black and Richard Roach, who are co-founders of Cast Iron Design out of Boulder, Colorado. During part one of this interview, we talk about how they were both born and raised in Minnesota. We talk about their first original career paths and the moment they were really turned on to design and that became their direction. Then we talk about their influences early on in their career. We also talk about the food brand that Johnny looks up to and the theater company that Richard loves. They get into a corrugated project, corrugated print, I should clarify, a project that they created that had a big focus on sustainability and all the details around that. And um, then I'm going to pause it because right after that, we get into the tough stuff and I'm going to save that for part two. This is a fantastic interview, guys. This was such a fun interview to do and I know you're going to love it. So I'm going to stop talking and get right to it in just a moment, and the moment has passed, so let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Black and Richard Roach from Cast Iron Design. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Johnny and Richard, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you guys? Excellent. Thanks for having us, Dave. Yeah, doing good. Happy to have both of you on. Are you guys ready for a Quickie? Always. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Terrific. Count, count us in. Awesome. Well, let's start with the hard things. Uh, briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Sure, you want to start? Yeah. Um, so I'm Richard, and that's Johnny, the other the other voice. Um, we met in undergrad in southern Minnesota. We kind of both spent most of our lives in Minnesota. Johnny was born and raised there. And... Um, we worked together a little bit. We had a lot of classes together. We collaborated on a big project at one point, and then uh, Johnny graduated. He went on to do his master's in Tucson. I still had another year left. And about halfway through his master's, Johnny contacted me asking if he wanted to start some sort of a design collective. He just kind of wanted to collaborate with some other designers. Yeah. I was down for it. I was pretty obsessed with design and wanted to do as much as I could, um, and we just kind of clicked really well, and we decided that um, we did not want to bring anyone else into the collective. Clicked too well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we ended up um, turning it into uh, a partnership instead, so we just kind of accidentally 
started a business. Um, so yeah, you want to explain what we do and that kind of thing? Yeah, that was in 2010. So uh, we've kind of, we kind of do a lot of different stuff. Um, one of the foundations of our studio is that we are uh, generalists instead of specialists. Um, our, our main focus is always sort of has uh, through the lens of sustainability, mm-hmm. but within that it's super broad. So we work on a ton of brand identities and that's you know about 50% of the work that we do. And then we do all different kinds of stuff, um, you know, uh, print and editorial, books, magazines, um, that kind of thing. We do uh, event branding and we do uh, web design uh, and in-house development um, as well for some small uh, websites. Um, we do signage and uh, print collateral, ton, ton of different stuff um, and copywriting as well, which is kind of unique for a studio of our size. That is really unique with the copywriting thing in there. And I like that, though. I like having the creative writing aspect in as well. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. So Cast Iron Design been going since 2010, you said? That's right. Awesome. So before that, before the brilliant idea of the Design Collective came to life, what were you guys, was it studio life? Was it just finishing up school? What was, what was the situation? Um, yeah, so we... We did a lot of freelance um, separately, uh-huh. a decent amount. Um, and then we also both had um, on-campus jobs, just kind of making flyers and posters and stuff for groups, organizations on campus. Um, the high-paying so, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was the design director, in, in air quotes, of uh, the University of Arizona. But it was basically just me. I was the only designer, and I was just doing everything for the school. So. <laughs> Love yeah. it. The yeah. business card looked awesome, though. exactly yeah um so yeah a lot of uh we need this done in an hour and a half type projects um a lot of efficiency stuff and a lot of variety that kind of thing but yeah neither one of us um ever worked in in a studio traditional studio or agency or anything like that before we started our own thing so still a lot of lingo and stuff that we're trying to understand (laughs) when people talk to us nice 10 years of painful growth Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Okay, I'm going to kick it back even further than that. Then I want to ask you guys about your childhoods. Um, do you guys feel you had creative childhoods that led you in this design career path? Um, yeah, I think I feel like every child is creative in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was more in, in writing. So I guess that's that's where a lot of the creative writing thing comes from. And Johnny has yeah. like. A pretty um, strong sense of humor and that kind of thing too. So, um, kind of align in that respect. Nice. But that was pretty much the only thing that I was considered creative at growing up. Um, I was one of those like, you know, the, the three R's: reading, writing, and arithmetic. Like that was my strong suit. Um, you know, the math guy, the nerdy guy. So everybody kind of thought like, maybe I'd be like an engineer or something like that. Richard played with spreadsheets when he was growing yeah. up as like a toy. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Yeah, Q basic. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that was, that was me growing up. Um, whenever I did write though, I did get a lot of feedback about, um, being funny and creative and sometimes too much. I've gotten, um, bad grades for, I I had to write my first research paper about bears in like second grade. And I got, um, like a B minus or something, which was, you know, shocking for me. Um, and because I turned it into like a fake talk show, um, (laughs) there was like a narrator and stuff like that. I still got all the facts in that was required and stuff like that, but but yeah, um, you know, that, that stuff was fun for me. Uh, what I always wanted was like the one thing I wasn't naturally good at was mm-hmm. to be like good at drawing and 
visual art and that kind of thing. And I didn't even really take an art class until I took photography my senior year in high school. And that's kind of what got me started with anything related to visual art. Man, Richard, minus the math, uh, I've had a very similar upbringing. The best artwork, drawing, painting, whatever you want to call it, that I've ever created was a World War II airplane in paint by number. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I followed those numbers and stayed on the lines better than anybody. (laughs) And at the end, I claimed that beast is mine. Cool. But um, yeah, definitely the creative writing um, side of things. So I I align with that. Um, So Johnny, I'll kick it over to you. Give me the childhood story, man. So, so my, my, honestly, my childhood story was, is pretty like generic white suburban, uh, you know, like uh, as boring as you can get with that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think there's a key part of it that I'll share that I think is kind of interesting. It tells you a little bit about my, my personality. Um, so my parents instilled a really good work, work ethic, um, into all their kids and uh, myself included. Um, I got a job when I was 14 and, um, I got a debit card as part of that. Cause nice. I needed to be able to put the money I made into, um, by the way, I worked at Taco Bell. Was I was going to ask, job. what is that first job? Yeah. Everyone is like, Taco Bell must've been horrible. I'm like, no, it's the best fucking job in the world. It's awesome. <laughs> Unlimited free burritos. Got to do tacos. I got like, you know, we smoked weed in the, like, uh, in the lobby. And when we closed in at 10 or whatever, it was, it was awesome. Uh, it was like, it was like a indie movie job, you know. It was, um, I couldn't have asked like for a better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but so I had I had the debit card, and my parents would like um, go on vacation, and uh, while they were on vacation, um, I started a business. Um, probably not the business my parents wanted me to start, but uh, I found a website where you could buy. Well, I found a lot of websites where you could buy stuff, and and back in those days, they didn't ask for your like age verification or like ask for your ID when they delivered it to your door, yep. you could pretty much buy anything. So I bought a lot of stuff. I won't name it all, but the the, the business part of it was that I bought uh, glow-in-the-dark uh, water bongs nice. uh, off the internet. Yeah, <laughs> so I ordered them in bulk and I uh, had them shipped to my house while the folks were away and then sold them at a very nice uh, markup um, and made some decent cash. Uh, so... I was an entrepreneur from from early on, we'll say. <laughs> Creative entrepreneur. I love that. So that was your first entrepreneurial venture. You just had business in you. I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So then, Johnny, what was the point that you got, you know, design really clicked for you did you did were your parents designers or creatives or artists or or what pointed you in the way was it your you know favorite career counselor in high school that said you know none of this math is working out you should try design like what what pointed you in that direction you know there wasn't I got into design through uh, playing in bands um, and uh, you know making merch and doing a GeoCities website and that kind of thing and I can't really remember a very specific moment um, where it sort of all clicked, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I have terrible long-term memory. You know, it, it's not because of the cannabis use. Of For the water bongs. <laughs> <laughs> Did exactly. you win like a poster competition? Oh yeah, yeah. I won a, some sort of poster competition in uh, uh, when I was in. I think that was high school. Yeah, in high school. But I um, one of the key moments for me was actually when design merged with something else. Um, so I was like an environmentalist um, on one hand in college, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, kind of um, had somebody in my life that made me uh, realize like that I shouldn't use 
um, you know, disposable uh, silverware for every single meal I ate. Like I did shit like that, you know, like college students do. And, um, and then, uh, so I started becoming more aware of that and become a sort of budding environmentalist. And then I was, you know, really passionate graphic designer on the side. And I took this course in graduate school that um, was called Critical Issues in Design. Mm -hmm. And they basically had you look at how you can use design as like a tool for good. And so um, I was really interested in, in, because I was interested in the environmentalist part, I looked up, um, you know, uh, green graphic design or sustainable graphic design. I, I didn't know it was a thing. And um, my uh, mentor in, encouraged me to look it up. I found this book uh, by a guy out in California, Berkeley, California, called, um, his name is Brian Doherty, and the okay. book is called Green Graphic Design. And when I read that, um, it was like two worlds collided. Like everything just was like, you know, like blew my mind. I was like, holy shit, you can really uh, like, you know, make a difference with graphic design. There's like, you know, all these different, you know, like what, what we do as graphic designers has such a huge impact, especially in print, you know? Yeah, um, and it just totally, you know, uh, sort of, uh, you know, put me in a little whirlwind and, um, and then kind of from that point on gave me, you know, sort of uh, purpose or this sort of um, motivation for the rest of my career. And so that was in um, 2010. And then that's what led me to reach out to Richard to start the collective, which turned into Cast Iron. Mm -hmm. So Richard, you were at the same school at the time? Um, when he reached out to me, I was at the at the undergrad that he formerly was at. Got he it. was doing, doing his master's. Got it then. So what about you, Richard? What is the moment where design really clicked for you? Because you kind of mentioned that you had more of a, you know, mo almost more of an, an academic um, younger years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a very specific moment for me. Um, when I when I first went to college, I went to Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I went there is because I got um, a scholarship. So got I it. I didn't have to pay any tuition. I didn't even visit it beforehand. Uh, everybody was like, you haven't visited? I'm like, nah, I don't care. I'm pretty easy going. Yeah, it's like, free? I'm, I'm cool yeah, wherever. I'm yeah. <laughs> so I went there. It turns out I did care and I hated it. Yeah. Um, and um, I ended up um, spending a lot of time in my room. We had, I had broadband internet for the first time in my life. Um, started uh, getting involved in a lot of like online communities and that kind of thing. Um, especially around music, electronic music. And um, I just started skipping classes. Um, and I, part of it was because I was like, I thought I could, I could, I was smart enough to like make up for that. And most of the time I was, but a lot of times I failed, I failed, I failed a few classes. Yeah. And um, to the point where I was uh, about to lose my scholarship. And I realized that I was skipping classes and I was doing things like I built a, I built a website from scratch. I, I tried to modify a WordPress template. I hated that. And I just taught myself how to code from scratch. Um, and the reason I built this was to host some, some electronic music I was working on, some of my online friends were working on. Yeah. And it turns out when I launched the website, everyone cared way more about the design uh, of the website. They were like, wow, that's really cool. Did you do all that yourself or is this a theme? And I was like, no, I did it all. And I realized I really liked that. And I was skipping classes doing something that um, could be a career that I just mm -hmm. never had considered. I just never, I was too scared of taking art classes, of, of drawing really badly and being embarrassed and, and that kind of thing. Um, so, but just kind of that experience 
um, seeing the reaction to that. And um, it, it led me to like want to change my major. And I ended up switching schools, um, which is a good thing because that's where I met Johnny. Yeah. Um, just to get a fresh start, um, be a little bit closer to to home and and that kind of thing, just reset. And um, yeah, that's that's where it all started. So what just was the major that you were doing that didn't work out before you really turned into graphic design? So I declared advertising um, because I was like, uh, I, I really wanted to do creative writing, but yep. I was afraid that I wouldn't find a way to make a, a you know, stable income from that. Yep. Um, just, you know, everybody's always pressuring you, like, uh, how are you going to make money doing that and stuff like that? So I kind of gave into the pressure. I was like, well, advertising is kind of similar. I have that the mindset for that. I think I'd be good at it. Met with the my counselor, like, first week, and she basically um, described what the advertising world is like. Um, all, all the, sh- you know, cocktail parties and it's just all, all who you know. And it's, it just sounded so manipulative. Um, and I completely got turned off from that. So I just decided I was going to switch to creative writing. I never actually switched. I just started taking a bunch of generals and in, in a bunch of writing classes and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, but then I found design and it, it kind of like um, had a lot of the things I liked about the advertising world, but was a lot less manipulative, a lot mm-hmm. more just like, just show who you actually are rather than try to like, oh, you know, this thing's cool. You know, 11 year old girls don't like us. How do we force them to like us that's more marketing advertising and, yeah. and for branding it's just like how do we just express what we are and what makes us different plus i do all the schmoozing now so yeah yeah that's pretty nice yeah it's a lot more schmoozing and a lot more just writing and, and putting yourself out there right mm-hmm. and understanding what you're creatively writing for mm-hmm. so i got a bit of the backstory on both of you guys here i want to hear something visual now i want to hear what has been the most influential design of your lives so far? Something that you guys saw and has just stuck with you since. Um, shit. Well, I just, I just gave mine. Uh, that was my answer. <laughs> <laughs> the green graphic design. Yeah. The green graphic design. That was, Cause I, we, we were, tr- we were trying to think through this and there wasn't really like a key, like design item that, yeah. um, like That's, stuck with us. I think for both of us, um, Quantity is the name of the game. That this this question is always really hard because um, when I started, when getting really into design, I went all in. Yeah. Um, I was obsessed, and and I found um, Google Reader. Rest in peace. It was a, a feed aggregator, and um, just all of a sudden, I could literally, I would I would have two thousand plus on my every morning, like on the little, like how many posts there are to read. And I would just scroll. And a lot of it's just, just images like from Flickr groups and from found and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, literally thousands of, of design influence, um, you know, came to me every, every single day. And then I got Johnny and a couple of other friends into the same thing. So it's like the early uh, Instagram feed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it was like Instagram, um, except there was like, because there's no like likes and stuff, it was it was less ubiquitous, right? It was a much bigger variety. Um, each blog, it's all from different blogs, and they kind of each had their niche rather than everybody trying to do the one thing that got a lot of likes. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I miss about that. The you know when blogs were king over social media. Definitely back in the day there. Mm-hmm. So, gentlemen, who are some of the designers and brands that you both look up to and closely follow now? What is it about them that you like? Yeah, I think for me, mine was the brand that came to mind is is uh, Oatly. 
Um, and uh, which is funny because from a visual design perspective, uh, they're just horrible, but I love that about it. You know, like <laughs> they just did this really shitty handmade, um, and Oli's that uh, oat milk, if you're not familiar. No, um, I have it in my fridge upstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just huge, you know, it hit, made all these waves um, a couple years ago, and baristas were like selling it on eBay for hundreds of dollars per case, like, you know, all this crazy shit. And uh, they just had a really exceptional product, but I really like their approach because they, they um, give no fucks. Uh, you know, they just take all these risks with, um, with their advertising and they do stupid shit too. Like I was in um, Amsterdam and they, they said, uh, they said uh, people from the Netherlands, or we were told people from the Netherlands don't read uh, advertisements in English. So whatever. It was something like that, um, like uh, on the side of a bus, you know, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, they just, they're, they're, uh, they take a lot of risks and they do weird shit. Um, like uh, if you look at even just their, their carton, you know, it has all that, the, the bloody, drippy, gooey type on the side of it and, um, and their copywriting's, uh, you know, stellar. So that's, that's one of my picks. Love that one. I'm going to go admire that jug of milk upstairs after this. <laughs> yeah, read it. Read it, too. Have it's a closer look at chuckle. it. <laughs> Perfect. What about you, Richard? Um, I think the the thing that comes to mind for me is Alamo Drafthouse. Um, I just remember, I mean, part of it is because i uh, a huge movie fan in general, so I, I'm kind of biased there. But I just remember when Johnny showed me, like, told me about them. I didn't, I didn't know. This was before they were in Colorado. Um, or any either of the states that we lived in, mm-hmm. um, and he showed me like a commercial where um, some young woman got kicked out for being too noisy, and she called in to complain. <laughs> and they just the commercial was just her complaining um, she, on the over voice. She's mail. wasted too, by the way. She's just like I got kicked out. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I just uh, it blew my mind that that um, they took a customer's complaint and used it as a way to to show why they're different yeah the fact that they do kick you out if you're noisy and there was a pre-screen um like they showed it before each trailer they still do some variation of that but they stopped using that one but um yeah so like they would they took this thing and they turned it into um something that every single customer saw and it was like you know um their way of just edgy edgy communication to say um don't talk during the movie or we'll fucking embarrass you. And I thought that, yeah. yeah exactly. Or you will become a commercial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with that, and then also just how they, how they continue to do their design, um, you know, it's just like really kitschy, very weird. They, they'll do like themed um, cocktails and stuff for big movies that come out and, and they make like custom little pre-screener short films Um that kind of thing and, and yeah uh, yeah it's just like just a great experience yeah. all around very cohesive very immersive and has it's a very strong unique personality oh, so what i love about you know the two brands that you guys have mentioned is that it's not about looking pretty it's not about dominating a store shelf it's that they have personality both brands have personality through their creative whether it's packaging whether it's video whatever it is they just ooze personality yeah, and we love that they brands that take risks, and it's something that yep. you know we have really tried to push for and get you know kind of curate those clients mm-hmm. uh, in the last couple of years, and it's the brands that inspire us and that you know that we really admire. I love that. Well said for both of them. 
All right, gentlemen, you had mentioned that uh, your studio tackles some print stuff, so I'm excited to get into this next uh, question. And curious if sustainability makes an appearance here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I got a good one. Perfect. I want to chat about print and packaging in your design career and hear how you have utilized print and packaging design and uh, some cool stories around that that you can share. Yeah, cool. Um, we got two real short ones. Uh, so one of them was for a um, client that we needed to develop a, a real retail display for. Yep. Um, and uh, we decided corrugated was the best material for that. Found our you know local supplier that is using 100% post-consumer corrugate, which is pretty common in the industry, but right. um, you know it's not always guaranteed. Um, and uh, then we worked with their box engineer to come up with a design for it. And one of the like tenets of uh, green design is um, efficiency, right? And mm -hmm. just being resourceful, minimizing the amount of materials you're using, and that kind of thing. So we asked them. Um, or we came up. We, you know, talked with the uh, engineering team. Came up. They came up with this design based on kind of the rough sketches that we put together. And um, we were looking at the design, and there was this one panel um, that was in it, and it kind of it's, it's hard to uh, explain just over. Um, verbally but it, it, this panel like did this little switchback route and um this weird fold and we realized like wait if they kind of just you know took a shortcut here and did a fold then you could eliminate this entire panel and so um we you know asked them about it we, we were talking about it, we we're like there's got to be some reason that you know structural like uh, structurally sound um like necessity or something like mm -hmm. that for mm -hmm. for it to work so we asked them you know uh knowing kind of sheepishly knowing like oh they're just going to be like oh you fucking idiot it's like this you know <laughs> like um and, and it have to explain it and just waste their time or whatever and so but but we you know it's our job to try to minimize um the waste and, and make it as finished efficient as possible so we always ask those questions even yeah, if you definitely. think definitely so I asked them, like, hey, can we just do this? And I drew out what we wanted to do. And um, much to our surprise, the uh, the response was, um, yeah. And um, I was like, wait, what? We can we can do that? And they said, yeah. And their, their, their specific response was, um, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I was like, what? Perfect. <laughs> like, um, so, yeah, we um, did the math. It saved like, you know, 20%, reduced the size by like 20%. It saved the client uh, $16,000 per 100,000 units, you know, Jeez. just like had a huge impact. Um, and obviously the client super pumped, uh, you know, it made everything easier for them and cheaper for yeah. them. And um, yeah, so we were, we were excited about that. So just a really simple story about how you know asking those questions can have uh, an outsized impact oh always asking those questions uh so the other the other print related story is um kind of the almost the opposite type of story it has nothing to do with uh, sustainability um it's just like the that's a really high high run high quantity um you know commercial project and and we had uh, very early on before we even we were working remotely from, I was in Minnesota and he was in Tucson. Yeah. Um, and we had someone contact us with the weirdest print request. What he wanted to do um, was make an engagement ring out of paper to um, propose to, you know, his uh, girlfriend with. And we were like, okay, that's kind of odd. And it turned out he had a pretty decent budget. Um, uh, I think a 
few thousand dollars for when we were first starting off. We were like, <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, yeah, with okay. it, with, with uh, it adjusted for our current income, that would be like you know hundred thousand. We were like, holy shit! You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was. We were confused, but the 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 idea was that I think they were both in some kind of design, you know, industrial design or product design or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so it was supposed to be like a temporary ring, like a, a for placement only type of ring kind of that reference and then they were going to pick out the real one together rather than him trying to just guess what which one she was like. ring <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah we were like well if he's going to give us you know pay us to do this this much we we want to go all out so we've yeah. like figured out how to make like a, a full-on 3d little paper jewel i think uh you know i think there was something like 37 cuts or folds cuts and folds in it um wow. and then i like tiny tiny level to the point where i had to use needles instead of my fingers to like do the folds and that kind of thing um, and so i did all of the hand all the hand work and then in tucson um, johnny designed like the the decorative parts and the typography for the band and then he also um uh, letter pressed it uh, into like some really thick uh, it was a cotton paper yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. for the for the wedding band and he had to mail it to me um and then i had to connect the little diamond part to the band the band was like, uh, he measured her finger with a string while she was sleeping. And then I took a little piece of string. I went to a hardware store and I found like a socket mm-hmm. that was the same um, width as her finger. And then I molded the the band around that and glued two pieces together. So the band could like, it was rigid. It could like stand up on its own. Um, and uh, yeah, unfortunately she said no. So that was kind of disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, she said oh, yes. Oh, that would be... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, on a, on a jumbotron too. It was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, she said yes, and uh, he sent a photo of her wearing it and stuff. So it was pretty yeah. cool. It was, it was pretty fun. Um, probably not uh, the type of thing we would try to do again, but um, yeah. So is that yeah. something that you have like up on the website? You got to have a photo of that. Uh, we have photos, but it's not on the website. We can send them to you if you want to post them on the link. Yeah, or something. definitely send them to me. I'll put them on yeah. the link, and hopefully got you don't it. get too many paper wedding ring requests. <laughs> Yeah, we are not open for yeah. business uh, when when it comes to paper wedding rings. <laughs> it took me like uh, seven hours to make Jeez. the little diamond thing. I, I did it three times before I got a good one. So. Yeah. Gentlemen, everything has a price. Everything, yeah. yeah. If there's a price. <laughs> if, if the price is there, you'll, yeah, do, no, another, you'll yeah. do another paper ring. Right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, if somebody's willing to donate half a million dollars to the World Wildlife, uh, Wildlife <laughs> Fund, then we're, we're in. Awesome. There it is. The announcement's here. <laughs> All right, that's cool. Two really great stories, and I love um, you know ask those questions and then a paper wedding ring. All right, so we got to get into the tough stuff now, guys. I got to drag you through the mud a little bit. And scene. That is where I'm going to stop this one because I'm going to save those stories for part two. The tough stuff. I do sort of bring up the bad memories, drag them through the mud a little bit but all for a great purpose of sharing the lessons learned, the mistakes they made with you so you can learn from them. So come back tomorrow and hear those stories and also uh, a crazy restaurant story that um, it's, it's definitely not a question I ask on the Quickie Podcast, but a wonderful story came out of it and I'm so happy it did. So come back tomorrow for that.